They say if we die there, we will enter paradise. But if we die in Nigeria practicing what the country is doing, we will go to hell. They say if you run away and take their children to an infidel country, they will never forgive you and they will find you and kill you. I mean, I was 17 when a Boko Haram terror member pointed a gun at her mother, hoisted her atop his bike and made away with her. It would be another eight years before she would see her mother again. And she would have been married off to three different members of the terror group at different times. And she would have become partly radicalized by the experience. This is Vestiges of Violence. A weekly podcast about personal stories of violence victims. A human angle. I am Hamida. When the insurgency started and attacks were going on in Borno, northeastern Nigeria, Amina's mother was living in Bama at the time, widowed and with a daughter to keep safe. However, she did not feel unsafe enough to flee until the military, while trying to apprehend members of the terror group, began to harass civilians. We left Bama to Chad because at that time, the military were arresting people at random. They set fire to houses and buildings. We had to run away, so we went to Chad. That was when Boko Haram kidnapped me. Once at Sambiza settlement, Amina was put into one of the tents with other girls her age, who were newly brought in or had not yet been married off. There were several tents like that, Usually, the waiting period in the tent was only a couple of weeks before they would be married off, but they spent a relatively longer time there. Amina was married off to the man who abducted her, even though she was only a teenager. She went to the Islamic school known locally as Islamia. There, she would listen to sermons about how treacherous it was for members of Boko Haram to return to Nigeria and leave, because Nigeria was an infidel country. Their husbands also warned them against running away. The man did not treat me badly. We spent one year together and even had a son. My day usually started with me making breakfast for my husband and my baby. But when we were under attack by soldiers, we were always on the run and rarely got any sleep. That time, bombs were being dropped regularly. There was even a time that it dropped in front of my house. Amina's first marriage in the settlement was peaceful until it ended when her husband died by execution at the hands of the terror group. Human Angle understands from interviews with several women that the men were mostly executed or punished for issues surrounding weddings or unions that were not appropriately done and rarely for marital feuds. For example, the concept of rape was only taken seriously and punished by death where the man is not married to the woman. In instances of marriage, rape is not recognized, just as in Nigerian laws. Further, if a man married a woman forcefully without paying her dowry, the marriage would be annulled. When he simply took her into his house as his wife without marrying her with permission from the group, like Amina's husband, 
it was to be executed. While the group insisted on not forcefully marrying women off, women who rejected the marriage offers were secluded and sometimes turned into slaves for high-ranking members of the group. They were also kept in much worse conditions than other women. Amina says that most of the Chibok girls abducted in 2014 who refused to be married off were kept in these conditions. They were secluded and not allowed to mingle with other captives. Though, some of them have been released as a result of negotiations with the government, with others escaping. Others are still in captivity. Because of the swiftness of the death penalty being used amongst these men and the fact that they were constantly under attack by the Nigerian army, foot soldiers died frequently. As a result, a woman could be married off two to three times during her stay among the group. After I completed my mourning period, I was married off to another person who treated me horribly. He left me starving many times. He beat me up. And sometimes he threw my belongings, asking me to leave my tent. On one occasion, I had to even stay with other people. Yet, he would not divorce me. He was just making me suffer. And the hunger, ah, don't get me started on the hunger. Sometimes when he feels like it, he would bring grains home for food. Sometimes he won't. My neighbors were the ones who sometimes fed me. Later, she found she could not continue. So, she tried to escape. She did not make it far before being caught and brought back because she had traveled within territory owned by the terror group. She was locked up in prison when she returned to the settlement. The prison was largely made of zinc with no concrete or any source of ventilation. It was very hot, no food, no water, many times. There was a particular woman whose husband reported her for some reason and they put her in prison. She was even pregnant. She died. She died with her baby inside her. Like that. She says that the same justice system was not always applicable to men. Sometimes, when women reported their husbands, they were blamed and sometimes punished for doing so. Marital issues were never really addressed. There was a man that beat his pregnant wife to death. He beat her until she died. They didn't do anything to him. He even got married to somebody else after. She had been lucky enough to be imprisoned for 15 days when she attempted to escape. Unfortunately, many people were usually slaughtered when caught. When I was released, my husband said he could not take me back after doing something as treacherous as trying to leave the group. I observed the mandatory waiting period after divorce and then I got married to another man. Having tried to escape before and failed, she knew that her next escape would have to be better plotted and successful, no matter what. I mean, I banded with other people, and this time around, she was successful. She made it back home and traced her family. When my mother saw me, she wept. She said I had lost all my hair. My mother looks devastated. She looks horrible. But we thank God since we are alive. Still, there is no food or any form of relief materials. This is an episode of Vestiges of Violence. 
This story was scripted by Zubeda Baba Ibrahim and reported and edited by Hawa Shafi Nuhum. Produced by Atahiro Jibrin. A quick note about our voice acting. All dramatizations in this episode are based on actual interviews conducted with the subject. Voice acting by Hawa Shafi Nuhum. Senior producer is Anthony Asamota. The executive producer is Ahmed Selikida. For more stories, go to humanangomedia.com and find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I am Haimida.